We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everyone, to the May 3rd edition of the Rotoware NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. We finally had the NFL draft happen. Jim and I were live last week discussing it. We had the podcast with little props that hopefully you guys listened to. It was a pretty profitable uh, endeavor in that regard. But now it's the fun part, recapping what occurred during the NFL draft. You're going to hear that across every platform on Rotoware, but certainly other fantasy ones out there too. Let's listen. I'm excited to get into what Jim's takes are and certainly what my takes are from the NFL draft all three days, all skill position guys, everything else that occurred. So let's get right down to it. Again, welcome everyone to the May 3rd edition of the Rotoway NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog Fantasy. Yes, it's NFL Draft Takeaway Edition. Jim has been uh, live on all of our platforms for day one. You had SiriusXM shows at the Wazoo for day two and three. I know you have had plenty of time to marinate uh, on all the players that were drafted. There was a SiriusXM experts draft. Uh, that I heard, I think it was this weekend as well, too, with you and Alan Tzlowski, uh going over all those. So you have you're already intimately familiar with uh, the ADP rankings for all these upcoming classes of players and where the rookies might fit. So I'm curious to have uh, to get your takes on everything that occurred. And I think, frankly, Jim, the best part to start is going to be on the quarterbacks. And for a lot of leagues, especially redraft uh, and, and single QB this might not matter, right? Because instead of having the possible over under four and a half, that was the, like the betting favorite for the past two months, we only had three, right? It, it was Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, and Anthony Richardson. Uh, Will Levis went early in the second round. You had Hendon Hooker drafted in the third round as well as what, uh, I think it was a total of 15 or 16 quarterbacks total selected throughout the course of the draft. Of course, all of them are be crappy backups like my Packers took. Thanks guys. Uh, yeah. So, so what, what were your thoughts on how the quarterback market developed in particular? So I did love betting the under on that four and a half. I said all along, Hendon Hooker is a third round quarterback could slip into the second. I just did not see a scenario. We learned last year that teams were willing to fade quarterbacks if they didn't feel they were starting caliber. So I learned that lesson. I didn't know Will Levis would fall, but fine enough, it was still four and a half. So that was kind of an easy take there. But um, that said, the quarterbacks who went high, deservedly so, none of them are anything close to a sure thing, but each possesses something that may 
prove them being worthy NFL starters. And those are the lottery tickets that you have to take in a quarterback driven league. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I 100% agree. And, and you'll have to let me know. We're, we're doing this live, obviously, on YouTube with the audio version, too. If I'm sounding, if I'm breaking up at all, Jim, you'll have to let me know because we're having the internet change around. I see stuff messing up. But, um, I, right, it's interesting because we thought it was potentially quarterbacks one through four, uh, number one, two, three, four overall pick. And it kind of played out the way that I know the Texans kind of changed things a little bit, um, trading up for Will Anderson, but more or less that was, that was the assumption. And I think Anthony Richardson going number three to the Colts is both the most intriguing one. And probably from a redraft perspective, that one that might not make a difference. And I'm curious if that's how you feel too, because Bryce Young, we knew that was going to happen now for a month plus, uh, there's going to be some, I think, baseline projections along with the relative veterans around that area. Like, yeah, you, you, you can project upside for Bryce Young. And I think the same, again, for C.J. Stroud, guaranteed starter for them baseline. But it's the, the Richardson aspect and the rushing ceiling that he has if everything works out right for him that I think really changes dynamics from a redraft perspective. I think before the NFL draft, I and many others believe that Anthony Richardson would best be served by a developmental role in year one where he wasn't playing. But the landing spot was very unique for him. This is a team that they are going to be a run-heavy office. They have five tight ends on the roster right now, and they're not garbage. Like The last one they drafted, Will Mallory. Uh, they Farrell Brown is a very good blocker. And then the three holdover mainstays from last year, Kylan Granson, Jelani Woods, and Mo Alley-Cox. So what we see is this team is going to play 12 personnel, two tight ends on the field, sometimes 13 personnel, mm-hmm. three tight ends on the field. They are going to get Jonathan Taylor going. And as bad as the offensive line was last year, the run blocking was significantly better than the pass blocking. So they should be okay there. But when you bring Anthony Richardson in the mix, you are going to have that mobile quarterback that I always say threatens linebackers. It's going to give Taylor more room to run and Richards is going to run more. I don't think there's going to be a lot of pass attempts here because they are going to be able to dominate on the ground. Now, their defense is so bad, there are times they're going to have to throw. That's where we get a little nervous. But I think, basically, the throws Anthony Richardson will commonly be asked to make will be play-action shots against light secondaries, and I believe there'll be very, very high percentage passes to develop on the run. But I agree with you that rushing ceiling and rushing floor, to me, make him the clear-cut QB one in this class uh, redraft or dynasty or both I have because I don't view any of these quarterbacks as a guarantee to be a starter in year three or year four because of that I know Anthony Richardson can run and I have to make him number one for that reason because look dynasty keeper leagues you can't extrapolate more than two to three years out. We're lucky to go two to three weeks out sometimes, Joe Bartle. So, yeah, I think he'll be running there for a few years. And I every show you'll hear me say this in the preseason, Tim Tebow was a QB1, and he struggled to throw at the NFL level. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting. I would imagine that philosophy, what you just said with, with Anthony, Anthony Richardson, number one, is a hot take. Uh, and you have a pulse on the fantasy community more than I do. So maybe maybe I'm just wrong with that assessment. But I would be willing to bet by August that's going to be the conventional thought process. Um, not that the smart fantasy people, although you are, Jim, are encouraging that line. But I just feel like we're, we're, 
we're transitioning to that's how everyone is understanding and adopting and recognizing what's happening in the NFL is these Russian quarterbacks, especially under Shane Steichen. We'll all go back to, oh, look what he did with Jalen Hurts and yada, yada. Like, there's just so many positive momentum conversations that are going to happen with Anthony Richardson as the weeks and months go on, especially when there is a lack of football content. We have to kind of just keep repeating the same storylines that I, I really believe it's going to uh, supersede uh, Stroud and, and Bryce Young to that extent, who have limited rushing upside relative to what Anthony Richardson has. So I, I don't know. Like, is that is that a hot take to say Richardson right now is one? Because gun to the head, I, I agree with you. I, I completely agree that I would rather have him over both the guys drafted ahead of him from a fantasy perspective in both redraft and a dynasty. If Anthony Richardson starts week one, which, again, based on landing spot and the personnel and the likely packages – I can't see Gardner Minshew starting into that type of offense. Yep. Look, Richards is going to run, but CJ Stroud and Bryce Young, they both have good pass blocking lines, but they both have good running backs also. Miles Sanders goes to Bryce Young, and Damian Pierce showed well last year for most until he got hurt with the Texans. But here's the thing the weapons are very, very dicey. As much as I like DJ Chark, he's the number one right now. Adam Thielen, I think he's done. I, I He could not separate last year, and he's lucky he had Kirk Cousins, who would still at least get him the ball a little bit. Because, But when Bryce Young sees Adam Thielen blanketed by a defensive back, whether it's a safety or a corner, he ain't going to get loose from him. So I don't see Bryce Young throwing Adam Thielen a lot. Terrace Marshall, little bit as a deep threat last year. Jonathan Mingo, we love him, but it's going to take a little time, I think. So I'm not sold on any weapons there. C.J. Stroud, what does he really have at this point? Nico Collins, I like him, but has he shown us much? Robert Woods, near the end. John Mechie, missed his rookie year due to illness. Not sure where he's at. Tank Dell, Dalton Schultz. So I think it's very hard to elevate these two quarterbacks because, A, I'm not sure talent-wise what they bring in at the NFL level year one, but, B, I'm not sold on the weapons. Yeah, it's funny. I was looking at the the quarterback rankings currently up on, on Roto-Air, and it does incorporate the rookies. Uh, but you could do like custom rankings for your stats and whatever else that work for your league. And we've been talking about this all off season is that the quarterback one through six top tier and, and that I will likely be selecting quarterbacks in this range. Again, we're doing this podcast May 3rd, uh, you know, things that happen in August are completely different most times, but I would theoretically be targeting quarterbacks at the top to avoid any conundrums specifically because quarterbacks 12 through 20, I just don't like. And, and that goes Kirk Cousins, Daniel Jones, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Geno Smith, Trey Lance, Kyler Murray, and whether or not Murray plays, right. I, we have that right now with the assumption he might based off the Cardinals information, but I, Clearly don't think he will. Matthew mm -hmm. Stafford at 19. Then you have the rookies where Bryce Young comes at 20 and then a little bit later on. It, it's good that we have Richardson, Bryce Young, and C.J. Stroud mixed in because the optimism makes me feel a bit better about that mid-tier QB. And to be clear, we have Bryce Young at 20 right now, but that changes when there's more information, guaranteed starts for Anthony Richardson, for example. But that's the only reason they would be going mid-tier is that optimism. Uh, and it, it, it just reaffirms the point that I think we've been making a couple of weeks now is I will gladly go ahead and take one of those top six QBs and not have to sweat getting production, even though I might be missing out on upside and draft value uh, for a guy like Richardson, who I could still take as my QB two if I really want to in, in this kind of example. Absolutely. I do. Now, again, I'm right now, as of May 3rd, I am projecting Richardson to start week one. So I have him as my QB 11. 
Because okay. like I said, if you can run, you are literally guaranteed QB1 status if you are a very good running quarterback. We have not seen it happen where a running quarterback has not been a QB1. So that's where I have him right now. Now, if news comes out in early August, well, they're going to, you know, run a more conventional offense. They're going to bring Gardner Minshew in to start the season. Oh, things are going to change. But like I said, and I'll repeat for the third time on purpose, based on the personnel they have with the number of tight ends, the propensity they've shown to use heavy personnel organizationally in the past, this is a natural week one fit. All right, uh, let's transition over to the running backs because that was actually the intrigue, at least on day one. You and I were live. Uh, I still have yet to get the live reaction picture of the Jameer Gibbs selection, but I can promise you it'll look as ridiculous as the pick was at the time going to the Lions at number 12. Of course, we had the fallout with DeAndre Swift traded later on in day three to the Eagles. We'll talk about him in a little bit later on. Bijan goes number eight overall, but it was really that day two or three spot for a lot of these guys that I think the dynasty community in particular was excited for because if the right landing spot were to occur, we're talking about an influx of five or six running backs that would be first round picks in dynasty in rookie only formats and uh, certainly in redraft too. You could see some push in the round eight uh, and higher conversation. That was about as much of a dud as he possibly could have had. Zach Charbonnet goes to the Seahawks, kills both his fantasy value and that of Kenneth Walker. We'll talk about that in a little bit too. Uh, Kendra Miller, right? A lot of people thought he could be a three down running back potentially while he's sharing the field with Jamal Williams at minimum, possibly Alvin Kamara too. It, it was pretty brutal for that second tier of running backs. So I guess I'll, I'll start first at the top with Bijan who I had said even a couple of weeks ago, I think he'll be a first-round pick come August. Well, that seems to be clearly the case. You guys did that uh, SiriusXM, I'm sorry, uh, SiriusXM Expert Redraft League. Alan Slazowski took him, I think, number two, right? If I saw yeah. correct, number three. Now, I know Alan is just a clickbait guy, clearly, and that's what he was shooting for. Uh, I'm saying this suggest. Alan's a very smart man. He wouldn't just do it for clickbait. But that's an eyebrow-raiser pick. And when I looked at and I looked at the board, I'm like, well, honestly – that isn't that crazy. Like, who, who are you really taking over Bijan from the running back perspective? Christian McCaffrey's up there. Josh Jacobs had a great year last year. We talked about Najee Harris in the live draft with the offensive line production. Now, maybe you'd consider him a little bit. I mean, like, none of those are, are great in the Saquon stuff. Everyone loved him last year when he was a, a late first, early second. But now when you're clearly middle tier it, and, and had injury stuff again, I don't know. It, it, it's not that absurd to say Bijan Robinson is a top five pick in redraft leagues. He will go in the top five in a very good number of drafts. Joe, before we delve in what I learned, I had done many drafts before the NFL draft. And in those drafts, they was it was wide receiver heavy in the first round. You would see McCaffrey go. You would see Eckler maybe go. But it was wide receiver heavy. This first draft, and I know this is an industry draft, and sometimes those go running back heavy. I really thought it was going to disappear this year five running backs, I believe, went in the first seven or eight picks. So it was almost like all preseason, receiver, receiver. It went right back to running back. And the nice thing was when Alan Soslowski took Bijan with the second pick, the chat got active on the draft. <laughs> but the question was, where do you think he's going to go? And I was the only person that said I wouldn't take him in the first round, but my rationale was different than others. Because my rationale is my board is very heavy wide receiver. I don't, aside from McCaffrey, who I have at number two, I don't have another running back in the top 10 picks. Austin Eckler is 11 for me. So I won't take Bijan. I have him ranked in my RB4, but I'm not taking a running back that high in the first round unless I get McCaffrey. Or And Eckler usually won't fall to the end of the first round. 
So that's the only reason. But I do have him ranked similarly to the other analysts at the position, just not the big board. So it's interesting. Um, and I like to try to play devil's advocate as best I can to your thoughts. I can't hear. Uh, and we've reached this conclusion independently, although we've done, we've done a lot of podcasts already over the course of the offseason. I, I think there's there's always been, especially the past three or four years, value in that specifically third through seventh or eighth round in terms of running back one and two. But it's more importantly that I just think the committee approach that has taken over the NFL by storm is going to continue to happen. And yes, that makes the guys who are not in the committee more valuable. I, I recognize that. But it also makes essentially 85% of the running market, running back market the same. And more importantly, they're up for injuries. You know, like that, that can more routinely happen at the running back position. We saw it with the top end guys last year. And, and this is the first year in a number of years that Christian McCaffrey stayed healthy. Okay. How long do we trust that to happen? Saquon Barkley got hurt. Okay. Josh Jacobs had never been this productive at other points in his career. He had injury issues, and, we're, and this is a 1,600-yard rusher from the season prior, who you could get, by the way, in round three, four, five, and six. Like I I am right there with you, um, and I, I think there'll be times where, especially us in industry leagues and with the amount of drafts that we do, we'll, we'll probably want to have separate shares of certain players as the course of the draft season progresses. But right now, again, May 3rd, I, I completely agree with you wholeheartedly that I would have a lot of receivers valued high in the first round safety wise, but also that I will continue to benefit when I think that there's an inefficient market with these running back by committees. In that serious XM host draft, I got Cooper cup at the one Oh eight. I believe is a one Oh eight, maybe one Oh nine, maybe the one Oh nine. And then the second round five picks in or whatever, I got CD lamb and a, a number of people piped it in the chat. CD lamb falling. There was a steal, which I agree. C.D. Lamb, you know, should go at the turn, and I got him a number of picks in. And again, it was because running backs were going. And so if you're patient and you're picking at that part in the second round, the earlier part of it, you could see a receiver to fall that you may not have thought was going to fall. So, but great comments on the running backs, and it will be interesting to see how they do. You did mention the attrition with running backs, and that's a real thing. The landing spot for B. John Robinson could not have been better. Hmm. Arthur Smith, I think he is beginning to move different in a different way than the 49ers, but he's going with some positionless football. We saw him poorly for fantasy, but smart <laughs> yeah. for NFL, use Kyle Pitts all over the formation last year. Wasn't a receiver enough. Uh, but we saw Drake London frequently in the slot. He's huge. Why? To block. Because Arthur Smith had a top three run blocking unit. The line was good, but it was all the formational usage that he had. And he has John U. Smith. I said he's going to be an H back there this year. That's how he's mm -hmm. going to use him. And I think there will be times when Algiers in the backfield with Bijan, they're running that pony backfield with two running backs. They're going to be fully committed to that run and throw only when they have to. There's going to be a lot to go around in that backfield. Yeah, I like Tyler Algier. He kind of gets buried in this as with Bijan Robinson going to the top 10. Uh, you'd assume the Falcons will use him, and they should. Again, we don't have many generational talents at running back. Um, Saquon Barkley and Zeke come to mind immediately. They did pay off, from certainly from a fantasy perspective early on. I think Elgier will still be in the mix, but the Falcons are going to be running the ball so much more than I think an average NFL team that it's going to make it fine that if you had uh, Bijan Robinson not dramatically affected by Elgier and Elgier still produces enough where you could be having him uh, on the fantasy radar other than 
know, just a backup if and when Bijan were to get hurt. Like it's not one of those scenarios. There is an if and scenario for both those guys. I want to talk about the other first round running back in, in the case of Jameer Gibbs. Again, uh, eye popping in terms of his draft status. Then we see that DeAndre Swift gets traded later on to the Eagles. Uh, the narrative immediately was what are the Lions doing? And then they took an inside linebacker at 18. And what are the Lions really doing? But from a fantasy perspective, that's all we care about. Uh, Gibbs was billed as the best pass catching running back. We know that DeAndre Swift already had that role in that Lions offense. It feels like they just upgraded that utility within their offense with a better player, or at least one that they feel is going to be more consistent and reliable, which does, again, matter for fantasy. I think Jameer Gibbs is going to be undervalued right now. Where did he end up going in Sirius, uh, in that SiriusXM expert draft? Oh, man, I don't have the draft board in front of me. Um, I can look I, it up, but you can talk about the, the merits for uh, Jameer Gibbs being a relevant fantasy guy, or I guess lack thereof, and then we can have an argument. Yippee. I am concerned about his workload, and, and people will point to the draft capital thing. The dude's 199 pounds, and David Montgomery is going to be a factor on early downs there. They're going to want to keep him fresh. They know this is not one big back, and – by running in between the tackles, you potentially take away his explosiveness, and you don't want to do that. Now, Alvin Kamara was 215 pounds, so he was able to handle 15 carries and the receiving load. 199 is a different ballgame. And remember, the Chargers didn't even want to use Austin Eckler in that capacity until they absolutely had to because they didn't have any other options. David Montgomery may not be a very good running back, but he's functional and he'll run behind a good offensive line. He's going to get 10 carries a game. I'm pretty certain of that. So in terms of the receiving game, how much are they going to feature the running back as a receiver? If game script is positive, they're going to want to throw it. Now, first six weeks, it'll help with Jamison Williams out. But when they get Williams in, they also have improvement at tight end that they selected a draft. It's a Sam Laporta, I believe. Yep. Yep. So, it's not like they're going to have to lean on Gibbs as the engine of the offense. So it's going to be tricky. I think he'll be a fine fantasy factor, but he's going to be drafted probably just outside, maybe even inside the top 12. You tell me where he went in the draft. I have him ranked as RB 20. There's going to be a workload issue here. Not a yeah. talent issue, workload issue, Joe. Yeah, I, I guess I didn't look at the overall running back. He went uh, in the beginning of the fourth round in that Sirius XM expert draft. So a top 50 overall because it was a 12-team league. Yes. Uh, beginning of the fourth round, top 50. Uh, gladly. I will I will gladly. That that I can guarantee you in a PPR uh, league, like a 1.1, even half point. Gibbs is going to be like a third, second by the end of August drafts. You could, I'll, I'll stake a Culver's board bet. You and I don't do that. We don't live anywhere near each other. I will Venmo you money or whatever your your pay uh, platform is to celebrate a nice Culver's dinner on me or whatever uh, your restaurant of choice is. Because I, I, I confidently feel the pass catching prowess is going to get billed extensively. Uh, he will be drafted in that second or third round in a full point PPR format because people love the sexy new toy. And that's what Jameer Gibbs, the Lions are treating him like a sexy new toy by trading up and, and taking him, not trading up, but drafting him where they did early in the first round. I, I recognize the weight concerns. I really do. Uh, I think he's an immense talent as a runner. And as long as he's not taking the body shots and uh, the between the tackle carries, that's what Montgomery is meant for. This is a Tony Pollard light scenario for an offense that I think is quietly as good 
as the Cowboys are. Yeah, I will. I will gladly take uh, Jameer Gibbs much, much earlier um, in that regard. I want to hit a break here, Jim, before we get to the day two and day three running backs, because we have a word from our sponsors, Circa Sports, where we will be going for our Vegas trip uh, coming up at the boy beginning of July or so. So it's the ultimate fantasy football draft that can take place in Las Vegas, Circa Circa Resport. Oh my God. Circa Resort and Casino wants to bring your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12 person league for a two night stay at Circa Resort and have your draft at the Cabana Stadium swim. Plus, limo transportation. Hell yeah. Uh, from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, a booth at the world la- world's largest sports book, and more. It's a prize package valued at eight thousand dollars there's no better place to draft than circa 21 years and up go to circa lasvegas.com for more information uh again a two-night stay at circa have your drafted stadium swim plus multiple parties for your league around circa c-i-r-c-a that's circa go to circa lasvegas.com for more information i can't wait for that vegas trip we uh we went out there last year at circa had a great time personally got to meet the owner of Circus Sports, who was uh, very complimentary of RotoWire and everything he's done to help win his friends and family league, I think, uh, among the other Las Vegas guys. You can imagine the stakes uh, when it comes to those kind of drafts. Happy RotoWire can be a part of that. Happy that you, the listeners, get a chance to also partake in that $8,000 uh, potential prize package. So uh, let's talk about let's talk about those day two running backs. And, and I think specifically Zach Charbonnet, who, again, went to the Seahawks. I think it was a mid-second round pick. I, I was gleefully happy about that because the people who were in on Kenneth Walker uh, get to look very shameful and very sad uh, and, and pretend like it doesn't matter, but it does. I, I think Kenneth Walker is good, but the way he was being drafted in, in both best ball leagues on underdog and other platforms, but also dynasty leagues, it was, it was like, he was like the, the next, the next best thing. And I, I think Kenneth Walker is good. He's not that good. Uh, and was just in an offense that really featured the run and didn't have anyone that could really run the ball after all the injuries occurred last year to the Seahawks. Well, now they have two guys, because Zach Charbonnet can definitely run the ball. For a lot of people, he was very clearly the number three back in this draft, uh, and that they both land up in the same spot is tough. When I when I did the write-up on all the day two skill guys, you can see that on the rotowire.com site, I, I like was tentatively going like 60-40 split Kenneth Walker and Zach Charbonnet. Uh, that was based off of week four when Kenneth Walker and Rashad Petty were both healthy. That was the last time in the entire season that, that happened. It was about a 60-40 split. Is that like kind of what you're estimating right now? Because you do the, the projection stuff way more than I do. Yeah, I have, I have a completely different um, hmm. philosophy on this. Uh, I tried to understand what Pete Carroll was doing. So <laughs> I saw in the first early first round, they took Devon Witherspoon in the corner. So now yep. he's got Tariq Woolen and he's got Devon Witherspoon. They brought back Bobby Wagner who had been gone, you know, they brought him back. He still can play at a good level, and Jamal Adams expected back. The defense had flashes in the first half. They're a little more galvanized. I think this defense can be really good. Pete Carroll wants to go back to his roots. He wants to run the football. He hasn't been able to the last number of years because their defense hasn't been good. Well, we go back to those early years. They were top three run defense in terms of, a, of rush attempts. I looked at their depth chart going into the draft, and they had Kenneth Walker, and they had DJ Dallas. So I felt when – no, remember, they picked Jackson Smith and Jigba with the yeah, 20. 20, 20th pick 20. in the draft. So they picked him as well. And so now I'm looking, okay, they've got a third receiver, which is good. Now, last year, they ran two tight end sets, meaning they were only at two receivers on the field over 60% of the time. I don't think that's changing. So we'll start with him, and we'll get to Charbonnet in a minute. So – Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be on a snap crunch this year because Metcalf's not going anywhere. 
And Tyler Lockett is still playing at a super high level. And I, there's in Jigba's not beating out Tyler Lockett. So he'll play in three receiver sets when they use them and in games they're trailing. So he, so but anyway, back to what Pete Carroll's doing though, in that second round, you can't go into a season thinking you're going to run the ball and play defense with one running back. So he needed a running back to take over if Kenneth Walker gets hurt. Also, you don't want him carrying a rock 25 times. So I think Kenneth Walker, he look, he he runs sub 4-4. This is one explosive dude, and Pete Carroll wants that in his lineup. Zach Charbonnet is a perfect complementary back for him. And if we lose Kenneth Walker to injury, Charbonnet can step in and be the guy. But Pete Carroll has to have that. Notice he took a running back super late in the draft, too. And the name's going to evade me right now. But he's like seventh round. They took another running oh, back. Oh, Kenny, Kenny McIntosh. And I actually yes. like that pick a lot, too, because he's a he's like the, the prototypical uh, receiving back. And I think he could actually have snaps right away if, if they want to replace the Travis Homer snaps. Yes. So I fully believe Pete Carroll went in with this plan of we have to be able to run the ball for 17 weeks plus the playoffs, and they're hoping to make a run. Now, I could be wrong, but I feel that Charbonnet was a great running back on the board, but now he has that player in case there's an injury. That was my thought. Could be wrong. And, of course, Pete Carroll's going to say we're competing. He's been saying that his whole career. His he, Every position on the field, he will tell you we are competing. He said that back when they signed Matt Flynn, I believe, as a quarterback, and Russell Wilson <laughs> got Russell drafted. Wilson, yeah. And he was true to his word. They But they, they did compete. But in most cases, he though he says that, he knows who the better guy is. And I, I, Kenneth Walker was very explosive. Gives them an element they won't have a Charbonnet. Yeah. It's different, but we just talked about Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery. And again, I, I recognize vastly different players, but I think the concept is the same. Like if you, it's not going to be Kenneth Walker getting all the carries until he's tired nope. and, and Zach Charbonnet, they will be working in tandem and, and any lost opportunities for Kenneth Walker. And there will be, there, there has to be lost opportunities. If you take a running back in the second round, otherwise uh, they're going to look foolish again, just like they did with D Eskridge who becomes completely redundant with the Jackson Smith, the Jigba draft pick. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on too. Um, what the receiving core looks like post NFL draft. I, I think Zach Charbonnet's going to be involved in the running game and not just as a complimentary piece, but as a one-two tandem to Kenneth Walker. Kenneth Walker, I think we talked about a couple of weeks ago, was going in the third or fourth round, yeah, maybe even second round uh, in certain underdog formats. I'm not I'm not touching him anywhere near that because uh, I think Charbonnet's a really, really good running back and Pete Carroll is going to value really good running backs doing really good things. Sure, maybe he's projecting, I need to have two really good running backs for the playoffs because my scheme is so run-dependent. Shame on you, Pete. That's fine. Um, I I just don't. I'm not of the opinion that Kenneth Walker was ex- explosive enough to offset who I think is a really good player in Charbonnet. But I I could be wrong with that too. I mean, he had 500 yard games, and that was he didn't even have a regular role till week four. You know, he's over 88 yards like seven times, and he had an injury with an ankle in the middle of that. So down the stretch, though, his last three games: 107 yards, 133, 114. That closed him out for yeah. the season. But but twenty six carries, twenty three carries, twenty nine yes. carries, and the other hundred yard game, twenty three carries. Obviously, he went nuts in the Chargers. Everyone went nuts in the Chargers. But that's one hundred seven yards and twenty three carries. It, it's not you're not getting twenty carries from Kenneth Walker no, anymore. 15, about fifteen. 
Okay. You'll get 15 this year. 15, I'm 18, not taking, I'm not 15, taking him in the second or third round. If nobody he's is. He already right. went, he already went to the fourth. I took him in the fourth round. I okay. believe. Yeah. He, he's already been, his, his ADP has already fallen from that. Are yeah, you he, still taking him in the fourth though? Oh, in the fourth. Oh yeah, absolutely. I do now, believe, I believe that Charbonnet is an insurance policy. He's going to get five to 10 carries a game. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be it. But the receiving back, and I know, and I like Charbonnet with 37 catches at UCLA, UCLA last year, but Kenneth Walker is going to be their receiving back. Yeah, see, I, I I definitely disagree with that as well, too. 27 catches last year. Uh, I know Charbonnet can do it. I actually don't. I really think it's going to be Kenny McIntosh who they drafted at the end of the second round, who was that kind of specialist and, and could factor in. Again, it's you look at what they did with Travis Homer last year and other times when they had a pass-catching guy it doesn't look like what you'd assume the Patriots offense would when they have a pass-catching running back. But there is a function. There is snaps that that get taken out from both those. And I, I would be shocked if Kenneth Walker um, is is that guy moving forward, especially if he's the explosive. This is going to be really fascinating. I, I bet you we're going to just dis- disagree on this for all of August. And then we're going to find like the uh, undrafted guy that ends up exploding for Pete Carroll because that's how it is of course. Uh, with, with Pete Carroll anyway. Uh, I guess – so the Kendry Miller thing going to the Saints and then uh Abba Kanata, the, the the running back that went to the Jets as well, too. I think it was in the fourth round or, or early day three. They were other guys that we projected to be possible starters if they went went to the right spots. it didn't it just didn't work out that that's that's what this whole draft felt like it could be for both receivers and running backs, never really going to the right spot to be true uh three down guys who you're drafting early on. Was there a running back that jumped up higher? based off their landing spot or that you valued more post NFL draft? Well, I was very happy about the landing spot of Chase Brown Mm. when he went in the fifth round, late fifth round to the Bengals. As of right now, their depth chart is Joe Mixon, Chase Brown, and Travion Williams. (laughs) Not much to overcome here. And remember, Samaj P. Ryan had like a significant role as a pass catcher, you know, among other things. Chase Brown, he was he's the one guy I was high on going into the draft. I feel that you know, 209 pounds, tested well. I he carried a heavy load at Illinois. I think he's one of those players that is under the radar. He isn't getting the buzz. But Joe Mixon, there, I still say, despite what the coach said, there's no lock he's there. They have those menacing charges on him. Who knows what's gonna happen with that? And they're gonna at some point they're gonna ask him to take a pay cut. And if he says no to that, I think they're just dumping him. And they'll get they'll sign somebody off the street, Leonard Fournette or Zeke Elliott or somebody. What's that? Kareem Hunt too. Kareem Hunt. But I think Chase Brown is a real chance to come in and make a difference here. But at the very least, he'll have a role on this team. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Um, I, that Joe Mixon stats I thought would get resolved during the offseason. We're now heading to the point where I know you can designate somebody for a post June first cut, but you can also just wait till June first to make that cut. I like that's. That's the scenario where you split the cap uh, cap implications in half for it. I I would be I would really be shocked if Joe Mixon is your starting running back for the Bengals uh, entering preseason. It, it feels less insurmountable than it did even a month ago for me. But there are too many veteran running backs on the market right now. You, we just riled off three. There's probably three more that the listeners could think of immediately as well too. That can do essentially what Joe Mixon is doing for less than the fourteen million dollar cap hit that he has currently on on the Bengals. So I. Uh, yeah, I, I'm right there with you, whether it be Chase Brown or a veteran. I think Chase Brown's going to be a function uh, in that offense in some capacity. I really liked the Deuce Vaughn selection, uh, and I know everyone's going to scoff at always oh, five five, whatever else. And uh, then you do this Darren Sproles comparison, and I wrote about it on the article at 
you know, I, I, I hate that because like Sproles is 20 pounds heavier than Vaughn. We can't just do this. I guess 10, we're exaggerating a little bit. We can't, like, oh yeah, Sproles did great. So Vaughn, well, no, it doesn't work like that. But I, I really think Vaughn is going to be essentially what Tony Pollard was last year when they had Ezekiel Elliott. Now Pollard will not be Ezekiel Elliott. We talked about what that role would look like, whether it be Ronald Jones or somebody else that they bring in from veteran capacity. I think there is absolutely an opportunity for a Tariq Cohen-esque thing for the Cowboys offense. And I think Vaughn is uniquely capable of doing that. And the Cowboys need some short short yardage offensive capabilities too. So I loved the Deuce Vaughn selection. I also liked Tajay Spears going to the Titans, who um, I I talked about with with like Ryan Town possibly doing for the Titans. There's a point where we're going to get kind of dark, I think, of the the Titans offense, especially – if the rumors are true that they're considering trading Derek Henry, whether it be next week, next month, or next year, there's a downslope. And I could see Tajay Spears uh, being a factor. I like him at least at the very least as a backup um, in, in redraft formats. And then uh, Devin Ockney too, going to the Dolphins. Uh, those three guys, I think, have a lot of value, at least for me, post-NFL draft that I need to see what the landing spot would look like. You know, Deuce Vaughn, I just wish he ended up with a different coaching staff. Yeah. We got Brian Schottenheimer as the offensive coordinator. Mike McCarthy is the head coach. Do they have the capacity to use a guy in a weaponized manner that's non-traditional? That worries me. Because I think in the best spot, Vaughn would have landed with a coach that was going to get him in space, use him in motion, try all different types of gadgetry with him, and get you know give him an opportunity to do some things. And, and I just... Like I said, I you said I like the player, and I, I was just hopeful for a better landing spot. But man, Mike McCarthy, that is not good for Pete. That's not good for um offensive football. I'll tell you that. Get rid of Kellen Moore and let's bring in Brian Shot number. That's an upgrade, <laughs> not so much. Uh, but otherwise, that I do like. And if they do use him, I like Deuce Vaughn to be able to do something on limited touches. His size at one seventy nine, I, I that means we're probably not seeing more than six touches in many games. It's, that's a really slight frame. And at five foot five, you have to be really creative at how you use him too. So we'll see. But again, like, like you said, like Deuce Vaughn, the player. Um, Tajay Spears, are we sure Hassan Haskins is not a thing? He didn't have a chance to do anything last year. They I'm confident him. that he's not. <laughs> yeah, it, because they draft running backs every year. They right. take shots every year. They, they, they throw darts at guys. Tajay Spears has a pretty significant history of knee injuries, correct? Uh, yeah, he does. He does. Um, yep. so and that, and you think you would think they could have gotten him later than the third round because usually those medicals, if it's not a player with an elite profile, so we'll see, but he should get a chance for sure. And when you mentioned trading Henry, I think the scenario for that, if the Titans get off to a slow start, I do believe at that point they would trade Henry, they would trade Ryan Tannehill. I think they're starting the season saying. We can't compete. The defense got some players back from injury, signed Jeffrey Simmons to a a bigger deal. I think they go in thinking they can still do some damage. But if they can't, and if it goes south, yeah, I agree. It would be a very smart fantasy pick to take a shot, a flyer on Tajay Spears because – you said Henry goes away, all of a sudden there's a vacuum and a void that has to be filled somehow. Yeah, I, to to further update you on on the the Spears knee thing, and I I knew it. I guess I didn't know the severity, so I knew he had suffered torn ACLs twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was tests after the NFL Combine that said he had thickness cartilage loss. I'm looking at this from an Ian Rappaport report, uh, and that there's arthritis in his knee. So obviously, 
all very bad things for a super young player. <laughs> I'm not saying he's going to be a, a dynasty <laughs> asset and that she want to keep for 10 years, but I actually think there's some value from a redraft perspective. Again, if we, if we look at the Alexander Madison's of the world as, as value to back up a Delvin cook and you know, we'll, we'll see what that scenario looks like uh, in the weeks and months to come as well too. Then there should be for Tajay Spears as well, who I think is far more explosive than Hassan Haskins who they drafted last year, but I think it was like a day three kind of latish pick. Uh, and certainly has more of the body type of Derrick Henry, but everyone thinks they're Derrick Henry until they're not, right? It's it's just there's only one Derrick Henry. Uh, as much as I love AJ Dillon as a Packers fan, he doesn't compare to that, and that's a far more explosive, better uh, player than Hassan Haskins was. So, so bad joke here, and the young people might not get this. So you're saying Tajay Spears is going to be Gale Sayers after the knee injuries? <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't. I think that would be great uh, if Spears even could have the, the track record of Gale Sayers. But yes, uh, post knee injury, Gale Sayers <laughs> certainly was not the same type of player no, uh, in, no. in that regard too. So. Uh, let's, let's get to the receivers. First, I want to get a sponsor or word from our sponsors underdog. The 2022 NFL season is over, but fantasy football season never stops at underdog fantasy. The easiest play to play easiest place to play fantasy football right now. You can draft in the underdogs, the big board tournament with 1 million in total prizes and 200,000 given to first place. Think, you know, which incoming rookies will burst on the scene in 2023. Hopefully you're listening to this podcast and taking notes. So if so, then now's your chance to draft them at value. Off dues, join the big board, draft your fantasy team. And that's it in best ball. There's no waivers, no trades, and you get the best scores in your starting lineup each week of the season. And whoever has the highest score at the end of the season wins, just head to underdogfantasy.com, the App Store, or the Google Play Store. Sign up with promo code RWNFL. Not only will you get your first deposit doubled up to $100, but you'll also get hooked up with a free six-month subscription to everything RotoWire has to offer. That's Underdog Fantasy, promo code RWNFL, to get that free six-month subscription we've been talking about now for a number of weeks, Jim, uh, getting you set for baseball season that's currently going. Obviously, NBA as well, too, running at the playoffs, same with NHL. Really, now is the time. That six-month subscription, I think, carries you into October, maybe even a little bit November to get those Thanksgiving leagues, too. Uh, I, like the, This is the time period, at least for us and you and I that do this uh, all the time. Content is coming out daily, whether it be best ball, dynasty stuff. Alan's been doing a lot of great things, both on the YouTube show, podcast, but also the written form. And there's going to be a lot more uh, as we get a lot more of the experts involved. And now with the NFL magazine going online, a lot more content in that regard, too. So the free six-month subscription gets you set for a whole lot of things at RotoWare. Yeah, it's an exciting promotion with underdog fantasy and if you're not signed up with them you need to do this one this one's gonna be good for you on so many levels so definitely take advantage of that and even going back to our last sponsor we love underdog we love circus sports at circus sports if if you haven't been to the what do they call the pool the swim you said it earlier the, the swim up yeah yeah the uh oh, shoot uh, yeah. i'm blanking the name anyway they me. have all these massive television screens this um yes i can maybe I remember the name of it but anyway you need to register for that as well underdog and circus sports because that is a place to have your fantasy draft now the only downside stadium of road swim, I'm sorry, I'm stadium, stadium swim. swim one of my Vegas. favorite places in las vegas I can, I can absolutely say that for sure and when Roto-Wire went there last year for our summer trip, the only problem with Stadium Swim was that there were no sports on because it was All-Star <laughs> Baseball weekend. So I had all these massive TVs and we didn't get to watch any games. But when you're going to go and you win that, yeah. So anyway, Underdog Fantasy and you've got Circa Sports. Way to go. I, I know Circa is a, uh, a promoter with us, obviously. We have been to Vegas a number of times. I've loved many of the Vegas places we went to. Circa has been my favorite. That is not part of the read. That's not part of the platform. I loved going there. I really felt like it was catered to me as a sports fan with the swim up, uh, 
the big this one was stopped. And I I've had friends who I've recommended going during football season, specifically on Sunday, to watch the games. There's there's not many better places I think in Vegas to go ahead and uh, participate in fantasy football, but also enjoy the game of football overall, which we do. So we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I know I said I wanted to go to receiver, Jim. We should real quick talk about the DeAndre Swift trade, though, because Swift going to the Eagles again for a late-round pick uh, this year, and they sent a fourth round next year, that's possibly the biggest fantasy mover other than the B. John Robinson selection, and it didn't even occur with the rookies, right? Like, how high did DeAndre Swift go up in your rankings moving from the Lions to the Eagles? So what's funny is, and I know that you'll have a different ranking on the first player, I put Jameer Gibbs as my RB20. I put DeAndre Swift as my RB21. We saw DeAndre Swift. He could get six touches in a game, and he can get 100 yards. He is so dynamically explosive. He doesn't need like anything to make it happen. And now he goes to the Eagles. They have Jalen Hurts, the incredibly mobile quarterback, freezing linebackers, and an amazing offensive line. A team that will never see a stack box because they have A.J. Brown. They have Devontae <laughs> Smith. They have Dallas Goddard. What a situation. And we saw last year with the Eagles. They could not have managed Miles Sanders better. In the games they had to use him, they gave him touches. The other games, they they monitored his usage. They kept 
him healthy the entire season with load management, but done strategically. So, look, we know that we're not going to see 20 touch games from DeAndre Swift with any regularity. There could be one or two, maybe. But we're going to see 10 touches, 15 touches. But the juice this guy has, he doesn't need much. And they're going to use him as a receiver. They're no fools. Philadelphia gets the most out of what they have. They didn't use Miles Sanders as a receiver. They are going to figure out a way to get DeAndre Swift into space, and he is going to get it done with limited work. So I can already see the writing on the wall for me. Uh, I'm going to take DeAndre Swift in stake league, uh, overpay for him because I'm going to be talking about for three months as like my favorite value pick, and everyone will price check me accordingly as they should, uh, and then he'll get hurt right away, and I'll blame myself for being invested in the guy that gets injured all the time and knowing full well that I'm going to make a mistake. I'm looking at your SiriusXM draft uh, board right now. Do you remember where DeAndre Swift went? I do not. Running back 27 in the seventh round to Jeff Radcliffe. Running backs taken before DeAndre Swift. Again, this is this is post-NFL draft. Like, we know he went to the Eagles. Cam Akers, Isaiah Pacheco, Delvin Cook, okay. Miles Sanders, all right. James Conner, Damian Pierce, Rashad White. We're taking that's like multiple rounds ahead of where DeAndre Swift is going. I I am I'm flabbergasted at this. If if DeAndre Swift at round seven is the price we're getting all year, uh, I'm going to have a hundred percent share of DeAndre Swift and be a hundred percent let down. But it's going to look great on paper for the first three weeks of August. Yeah, I do feel there is real upset with DeAndre Swift. The injury history is there again. I think. Philadelphia will use him very wisely. I don't think they're going to bash him between the tackles. I think even on the run plays. But even think about this, when they are running the ball, the blocking is so darn good. They're pulling people. They are creating chasms to run through. So this is a win-win for him. I I don't think he's going to take as many of the same types of hits he took in Detroit. Like I said earlier, they'll manage him. So I'm very excited about the address. And I will have shares this year for sure. Yeah, that that's uh, there. All those guys that I mentioned, maybe other than Delvin Cook and Miles Sanders, uh, depending on Delvin's specifically how his situation works out, it's inexcusable, I think, to have those guys go before Swift. But that, that's fine. I, I will I will be the uh, early aggressor on the DeAndre Swift market. Better watch out if you're ending my drafts. I guess I should say. All right, now receiver. It, we knew this class is a bit. Eh, uh, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, was the highlight. Uh, and if we had this conversation last year. We're talking about Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison the way we're talking about Marvin Harrison now, which is like, oh, my God, let's just wait till next year. Marvin Harrison's going to be the best receiver drafted since Mike Evans early on. Like, this is insane. And yet the production by Smith and Jigba and Jordan Addison last year left a lot to be desired. They, of course, fell down a little bit. Smith and Jigba was the first receiver taken at number uh, 20. I think Jordan Addison was 23. We had Quinton Johnston uh, and Zay Flowers taken in between then. I don't know. I, I, I'm not super in on, on any of this, any of these receivers per se, at least from a dynasty perspective. I think there's certainly value specifically for Jordan Addison in a redraft, but I also know you love the landing spot for Quentin Johnson. So how do you feel like the overall with this receiver class that you're looking at from a redraft perspective, not dynasty, but a redraft. It's up and down. And as anybody who listened to me knows, I called a month earlier that Quentin Johnson was going to the Chargers yep. in the first round. And I was very, and my laid out that case. And I fully believe they are going to put this team on Justin Herbert's shoulder. You have a franchise quarterback. You need to go toe to toe with the Joe Burrows of the world, the Patrick Mahomes of the world, and the other quarterbacks that might be in that tier that I'm missing, but there aren't many. But um, Josh Allen's. So anyway, this is what they have to do to compete. And 
Quinton Johnston is in an enviable position. Mike Williams is there. Keenan Allen's there. Austin Eckler. So Quinton Johnston is not going to see a lot of attention. He has flaws in his game, but this is the place where those can be hidden very well. He's not going to have to do a lot, but I think the passing volume is going to be there. They're going to utilize his size well. No, he's not a burner, but he, in that offense, can get downfield when he needs to. So I think that they're going to utilize him well, so this could not have been a better fit for him. And then the one player I like the least out of this group would be Zay Flowers. Mm -hmm. And look, I understand, super talented player. The Ravens, aside from the year when they didn't have any running backs because they lost Gus Edwards and J.K. Dobbs for the entire season, they passed yeah, that, that was like uh, Justice Hill got injured too. I yes. think they were like Devonta Freeman was was getting carries at the time too, and they they were that depleted at running back. So that year they threw the ball out. Otherwise, this is a team that runs the ball nearly sixty percent of the time. Now I believe they're going to make a little bit of a shift. Obviously, Greg Roman's gone, the offensive coordinator. They bring in Todd Munkin. They bring in Odell Beckham. Rashad Bateman's back. They have Mark Andrews at tight end, and they bring in Zay Flowers. But this organization has been very successful playing strong defense and running the ball. So I think instead of a 60-40 run pass, I think it's more 50-50. The problem is, where does Zay Flowers fit in? Bateman should command a lot of targets. Mark Andrews has been very, very reliable and productive with Lamar Jackson. Now, Odell Beckham's brought in. They brought him in with the intention of being a starting receiver. How many three receiver sets are they really going to run? Not many. They're, they, they have Isaiah Likely, too. They're going to use tight ends. So I think he's going to be in a complete snap squeeze. He's not going to see the field a lot. Now, if Beckham gets hurt or Bateman gets hurt, if you're betting on that, different story. Mm -hmm. I just think the pass attempts are not going to be crazy, and his snaps are going to be limited. Yeah, I I always try to make sure I'm adapting to the mistakes I, I made last year. And for me, Jahan Dotson was a pretty massive mistake. I was fading him everywhere I could. I thought the commander's a really bad offense. We'll check on that. Uh, but I didn't think Jahan Dotson was that good. He was. I, I think he's he proven to be good, but uniquely was really good in the red zone. But there's a lot of differences between the commanders and the Ravens, first being the run offense I know the commanders love Brian Robinson and want to be run oriented, but not to the level of the Ravens, no. even post Greg Roman. Like that's going to be a noticeable change. The commanders also didn't have a whole lot of guys. Like when JD McKissick entering the season was a valuable weapon to your offense, your offense is in shambles. It's, it's, it's not looking good. So I, I don't feel like that's the same concerns for the Ravens. And I will be again uh, fading a guy like Zay Flowers because I, I just don't know if there's the right scenarios. And like you said, you're betting on a Bateman or Beckham or even like a Mark Andrews to get injured. That would change the dichotomy of their offense. I, I would like to do projections not based off of betting on injuries. Uh, I know they happen, but let's let's just not go ahead and, and favor that way. So to me, it was kind of a meh receiver class. And Smith and Jigba, I think, is kind of capped, like we mentioned earlier in the show, uh, with Tyler Lockett snaps, that you're drafting a backup uh, and succeeder to Tyler Lockett at pick 20 is kind of funny, but it goes back to the Seahawks having – two first round picks and also getting a value of Smith and Jigba falling down to where he did in the draft. I think it's Rasheed White, I'm sorry, Rasheed Rice, the receiver drafted by the Chiefs in the second round. That might have been the biggest overall draft winner for me. I wrote about this uh, in the day two, uh, day two breakdown of all the skill position guys drafted. 
the more I think about it, like I know that um, the Kadarius Tonys and even the Sky Moors and certainly um, the offense in general work so well when they're off script and Mahomes is making his magic occur. And that's why we all love Mahomes. But there's so many times where Travis Kelsey gets seven catches for 170 yards because those are on script throws. It's the right play. It's going to be a 10 yard slant that he, he runs for five more yards. Boom. First down keeps the chiefs offense moving. That's what I think rice is going to excel at as well too. And they have not had that type of player in their offense. I really feel like uh, rice is going to be a guy that I'm drafting everywhere, depending on where his ADP is, but is going to be my sneaky value target in dynasty league specifically because he's a second round guy. No one's going to really think about him. He wasn't a big name first round receiver that I think easily outperforms uh, Zay Flowers and, and possibly even Quentin Johnson too. And I, I like him not as much as you, but I like him. I think that's just how much I like Rice. I think a lot of people are going to be split on Rasheed Rice. I think we're going to have people that say, yeah, Chiefs drafted another receiver. That's not going to work out. It's going to be lazy analysis. When they drafted Nicole Hardman, it was Tyree Hill was possibly facing a suspension. They need to, they, they just brought in a speed guy and fantasy managers lazily said, oh, he's as fast as Tyree Hill. No, he's not Tyree Hill. He never was going to be Tyree Hill. Right. And, and then they bring in Sky Moore last year. And that's not a done deal yet. The slot position in Andy Reid's offense is not easy to learn. And so Sky Moore may have been a developmental situation from the beginning without us even knowing it. Rashi Rice comes in, and this offense really needs an outside receiver that can do some damage. Now, Rashi Rice, his speed is not great. He's 205 pounds. He only ran a 47th percentile 40, but his explosiveness was the 93rd percentile. We have seen a lot of receivers without blazing speed be able to get downfield and do well. And in an offense with Patrick Mahomes, there's a lot of opportunity to do that. I do think the Chiefs saw a player they liked and took a second round pick on him. I think they see the traits they want. There could be a learning curve this year. I'm not going to dismiss that, but they need him to have a role. So if he has any kind of a camp, he is in position to excel with this offense. That's exactly it. They, they need him to have a role. Sky Moore, Kadarius Tony, MVS, they all have their roles, and they're not redundant per se. And I'm not even saying Rice is going to fill the Juju Smith-Schuster role, but there's going to be a role in the offense for somebody who could get scheduled passes to him like there has to be if if your offense is predicated on it breaking down that's by nature a bad offense the Chiefs are not a bad offense they make things happen when it breaks down but that is not the plan each and every play so I actually think Rice is not not that he's a guaranteed starter but he's gonna have a guaranteed role more than a few of these receivers and I'm looking at your Sirius XM host draft again that was conducted after the draft this was only 12 rounds and you only took 14 QBs I would imagine in a 12 team 12 round draft, there's going to be a few more quarterbacks, especially if it, it gets played a little bit further that are, are taken off the board and therefore l- less skill guys, I guess would be going. I, I like, uh, okay. Zay flowers was taken around 11. I will take rice over Zay flowers today. Every single time Jonathan Mingo, we're talking about him in a second. I'll take rice over Mingo as well too. Um, guys like uh, Jaden Reed for the Packers. Yes. I'll take rice over Reed every single time. Uh, KJ Osborne. Absolutely. Michael Hartman. Absolutely. Adam Thielen, like Thielen's going to start, but I agree with you. I think he's toast as well. Uh, you know, those are all guys that went before Rice was even selected. And this might be a deep receiver group of fantasy wise this year. But if you're looking for upside potential, I will, I will gamble on the second round receiver that the Chiefs take every time. 
even if, like you said, lazy analysis analysis suggests it's not going to work out in your favor. Yeah, I'm not going to add anything to that. I think we kind of made both solid points and we made some points of agreement as well. So I think we just move on. We had one probably time to cover one more player. Well, well, one more player or like one more overall position. And I think the overall position was these day two and three receivers specifically. I liked Jonathan Mingo. I, I didn't realize how much I did like him, but I was watching the tape a bit more. I'm like, hey, that guy looks like a player. Like I, I've seen that before in the NFL, and that has been successful. And then you think about the Ole Miss lineage and how many of those Ole Miss receivers have worked out well. I don't mind Mingo being one of the first receivers off the board in the second round. It was this third round guys that I, I kind of liked quite a bit. So Cedric Tillman he looks like an NFL player. I know he was slower, but at six foot four in that Browns offense, that makes a difference. I was wrong on David Bell last year, so I get a little bit worried about that. I think Cedric Tillman is going to be a legitimate factor offensively for the, the Browns in some capacity, who, again, don't have Kareem Hunt. Uh, Jerome Ford, I think, is a good player, but if you're saying we're going to still be a run-oriented offense to use Jerome Ford, I think you're in a losing battle there. Um, there was Josh Downs who went to the Colts. And then everyone's going to like this one, uh, Jalen White, obviously the Giants. And I saw Jalen White went like three rounds earlier than those receivers I mentioned. It, it's just MVS. I mean, that, that's he's just run straight, Jalen White. See what happens. You mean Jalen Hyatt, correct? Yeah, so, so, yeah, yeah. So, Jalen Hyatt. Thank you, thank, thank you, Jalen Hyatt. But it's the same thing. Just just run straight uh, and and go be a deep specialist. That'll work. Uh, you'll be fine with that in best ball, but I don't I don't want that in my my di- or my uh, redraft league very often, especially when he's not that great of a receiver. So I'm curious, was there any of these guys in day two and day three that really separated themselves for you from a fantasy perspective? Well, I thought Jonathan Mingo, as you mentioned, I'm going to reiterate and follow up on him because Jonathan Mingo, they think about the eighth pick of the second round. He was the fifth receiver off the board. That's mm-hmm. a big statement. And we mentioned earlier, Adam Thielen, he can't separate. He is not going to be much of a factor. He's going to be out of that lineup pretty quickly, I think. Unless they was about veteran leadership and a body out there, and it might be that. Um, DJ Chark, like I said, I like him, but he's not a guy you want to build your offense on. The reliability of being on the field just hasn't been there. Mingo walks into a situation where he could be in very quickly and contribute. Maybe he doesn't start week one. Maybe Thielen does, but it can't be long. And this guy, he 6'2", 220. So first of all, you can use him in many different ways. You can use him as a big Z receiver. You could put him as a power slot receiver. He tests 40-yard dash time, 67th percentile for a 220-pound dude. Explosiveness, 92nd percentile. He runs precise routes. He gets to full speed quickly. He can beat press with agility. He locates deep passes well. He can block and use these receivers in the slot to block. Now, there were some downsides, a little slow out of his breaks. College production, I didn't think matched his talent. But sometimes mm-hmm. college coaches are not often imaginative. They got the 6-2-220 dude. They may have had no clue how to truly weaponize him. So this is that player, second-round pick, that I think the NFL figures out far better than college. So I love Jonathan Mingo. I'm right there with you. Um, I think that's that's fantastic ana- analysis. What about Jalen Hyatt? Uh, I got to make sure I get the name or Jalen Hyatt right to the Giants uh, and Josh Downs. Who I get both draft in the third round. Very specialized roles. Josh Downs will be a slot specialist in the vein of Paris Campbell to the Colts, and then uh, Jalen Hyatt going to the Giants as a deep ball specialist. Again, I think I saw uh, Hyatt was drafted. Man, I, I, I keep talking about both the merits of this. Yeah, Hyatt, Hyatt, Hyatt round ten, round ten. 
Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. That's insane for a guy that's just going to run straight 70% of the time. So Josh Downs, his his biggest hurdle across, and I mentioned this earlier, that roster is designed for two and three tight end sets. I don't think other than games when they are trailing, and their defense is bad, there will be games, they are not sniffing three receivers on a field. And I thought Alec Pierce actually showed something as a rookie. But the problem was Matt Ryan, A, didn't have time. B, he was afraid to throw deep because he couldn't in without time. So they limited Alec Pierce. But when he had throws his way, he looked like the player they drafted. And Michael Pittman isn't going anywhere. So Downs, I see as a slot receiver. He's 5'9", 171. I don't see him on the outside. And his 40 time was only the 60th percentile. That, for a 171-pound guy, that is not good. Anyway, I do think, like you do, he could be a functional NFL player. I just think it's the wrong offense. There's going to be tight ends all over the field. They're not putting receivers out. Any word on that? Um, yeah, yeah. I guess I, I think the offense is going to look different under Steichen. Because I mean, that's that's right. We're talking Colts here, not because the Giants it, like they melt right. together. Little Josh Downs. Because remember, right. Anthony Richardson is a project. You cannot. I don't think you could dump him to a passing offense day one. If you do. You are it's organizational like misuse. I, I he, right. he's not ready. So if they put him in this heavy RPO scheme, two or three tight ends, measured play action throws, a lot of running. If they go three receiver sets and they make that a base, other than when they were trailing big, I, I Joe, I just don't see Anthony Richardson being ready. I don't see him making those throws either. When they disguise coverages, he's screwed. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, and and you want your rookie quarterback, especially one that you have now invested everything in, if you are uh, Ballard, the GM of the Colts, to look as good as often as he can and to limit the times. You don't want a Malik Willis situation where uh, you're only going to throw eight times and then the four times he throws, he's like, oh, oh God, he can't throw better than I can. And I'm a 5'8", 200-plus guy, right? Like that's, You don't you don't want a Malik Willis scenario. I don't think there will be one, and I think I give a lot of credit to Shane Steichen specifically to put them in a spot where you're not going to see Anthony Richardson um, fail uh, to the level that Malik Willis did last year. I I think they need to weaponize the passing attack a bit more. Um, and it seems to be that was the key, right? Normally every year the Colts draft four tight ends. Well, they didn't really do that this year. No, they drafted one like day three, but that's Will just obligated to. Who's a yeah. good player? Who's a good player? Right. Right. Um, they they improved the offensive line. Like they're, they're committed to, I think, to building the Shane Steichen model a little bit more. Which maybe that involves Josh Downs. I don't know. I I will be. Happy to gamble on a guy that I think is very talented and who feels like he's very obviously in a spot to play, even if it's not the scheme fit per se, uh, especially from a late round pick uh, in redraft perspective. So uh, maybe we'll differ a little bit on Josh Downs, and especially if there's some hype coming out of camp, um, I- I'm fine with you know kind of tempering my expectations right now on that. Real quick, we should talk about the, t- the tight ends a little bit because this was the best tight end class of all time, uh, or certainly really good, and yet only one went in the first round. Uh, lots and lots in the second round. It was hard because as somebody that's doing the day two recap uh, for Rotowire, knowing rookie tight ends almost historically are always really bad, it felt kind of like, oh, why am I writing this? Because all of them kind of stink, and they might not do a whole lot this year. A lot went in, un- unlike the running backs, a lot of the tight ends, we mentioned Sam Laporta, obviously the Packers draft two that could be obvious starters, but uh, Michael Mayer, pretty easy competition to jump over Austin Hooper as the top one. A lot of these guys went to very clear, obvious starting spots. 
And yet at the same point, I'm like, does it really matter? It's a rookie tight end. And, and we know history says rookie tight ends won't make a difference. Uh, it, it's certainly in redraft fantasy uh, right away. I think the one player we're going to see have year one success is Dalton Kincaid. So mm -hmm. last year, Buffalo, and I mistakenly spoke on a couple of shows. I'm going to clarify that now. Buffalo, I said, use a lot of 12 personnel, two tight ends in the second half of the season. They use a lot of heavy personnel. They were doing it with two running backs and one tight end. So they, I had my number flipped when I was going through that. Well, but they showed that they were trying to put Josh Allen in different situations with numbers. By drafting Kincaid, they now can go, instead of 21 personnel, two running backs, they can go 12, two tight ends on the field. Dalton Kincaid is going to be, in my mind, a slot receiver. He'll be lined up hmm. to start the play as a tight end, but they're going to use him as a slot receiver. So if you told me Dalton Kincaid is coming into the league He's really going to be a slot receiver, really not a tight end, just kind of for classification purposes. To me, that's the situation where I think he works. And he can. He sets up defenders. He adjusts to the ball. He's creative making defenders miss. He has an excellent my ball mentality. Size as a tight end is his issue, but size as a slot receiver is not an issue. And I think Josh Allen has proven over the last few years that he will have success in the middle of the field. So, yeah, I think Dawson Knox blocks a lot more. Maybe we'll do some zone routes. But Kincaid is going to be a factor here. Yeah, I, I could see it, um, especially if that is the case. But it has to be the case. I also think the Bills drafted in the first round for that reason. Because um, yes. the Dawson Knox thing looks a little bit weird on paper. and People are going to be like, holy, oh, just assigned Dawson Knox to, to a big deal last year. And he was already getting touchdowns for Josh Allen. How does this really work? But if he's if, if they're sharing the field together, if Kincaid's essentially a slot receiver, absolutely. I want the slot receiver in a dynamic Bills offense every time. It's the reason why we were all over Isaiah McKenzie in past year or past weeks. And, you know, that had varying levels of success. We, we talked about this, a Cole Beasley as well, too. It's a different level of slot receivers, clearly. Um, but I think that function in the offense has gotten fantasy value before. So if we're under the understanding that Kincaid's going to be that same way, for sure, uh, I, I'm all for that. Otherwise, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm I'm not certain where I like these rookie uh, tight ends um, other than it feels like we won't really need to worry about until three or four years down the road when a lot of these guys get more experience or whatever else. I, again, I know Sam Laporta is going to be obviously starting for the Lions, one of Tucker Craft uh, and uh, the other one as well, too, that they drafted the second round. The Packers, he'll start. I, I think Michael Mayer immediately day one. And yet I have, I have zero confidence that any one of them are going to be super fantasy relevant. So that does it for us on the Wednesday edition of the World War NFL podcast brought to you by Underdog. Next week, I think uh, we'll, we'll assign this officially off air, Jim, but I think next week I want us to do a little bit of homework on the best ball scene and what these rookie redrafts are going to mean. Uh, I'm excited to kind of dive into that topic a bit more as we slowly gear our way to draft season, to circus season, as well as when we're getting in drafts in Vegas, everything else like that. So look forward to more of our content next week. Everyone, thanks for listening. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. 
the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.